0: favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. He who has been born to the king of the Jews, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. They went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was, Then they and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him, presenting their treasures to him, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The angel said to Joseph, get up, flee to Egypt. Herod is done search for the child and kill him. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, men of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble possession of a slave and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. On his rope and on his side, there the name with King of kings and Lord of lords. At the name of Jesus. welcome you here as those who've gathered for the Christmas program and just uh, want to say if you're here as a, as a guest, this is your first time at Creekside Church, or you're here as a regular attender, there is a flap on the bulletin if you have a need or if you'd like to register uh, just so we know who you are and we could greet you and um, get to know you a little more personally, just fill that out, tear it off and put it in the offering uh, Pouches as they go by a little bit later. I'd invite you to pray with me if you would. Father, as we gather to think about the Lord that we lift on high, let us sing your praises in our hearts and souls. I ask that you would take your word and let it accomplish its purpose in each of our hearts this morning. Teach us, inform our minds. Encourage us and change us into the people you want us to be. Lord, help us not to lose focus of what Christmas is all about, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The story is told of a, a worker on a construction site in an Eastern European country. Every day at the end of work, he would leave the construction site. He'd have to pass through a gate. And the gate was guarded by the guards who were to make sure that the workers were uh, you know, up to snuff and workers got in and non-workers stayed out and that sort of thing. And Every night he, he came to the gate with a wheelbarrow. And it was empty. The guards would look at the empty wheelbarrow and let the man pass. After a few weeks, it was discovered that the man was stealing wheelbarrows from the construction site. Yeah, go figure. The guards missed the obvious because they were focused on the obscure. It's my prayer that as we approach Christmas, we don't miss the obvious by focusing on the obscure. And this morning, as we consider Zachariah's priestly praise for pardon that has been provided in in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80, I think he, Zechariah's prayer of praise and his prophetic words of praise help keep us focused on the real meaning of Christmas, that Christmas is about the provision of salvation. It's not just about a baby in a manger, although it is that. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look and see that after Mary left Elizabeth and Zechariah, and for those of you who are guests this morning, uh, we're we're preaching through Luke chapter 1 and into chapter 2, so we're kind of picking up the story, so you're kind of behind, I guess, and I apologize for that. But last time we left Mary with Elizabeth, and now Mary has left Elizabeth, and a few probably... Weeks after Mary left Elizabeth, Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth had their miracle child, John. And they named him John. And it's now Zechariah's response to the birth of this son in his old age that leads to this priestly prophetic word as he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Zechariah's prophecy in these verses mentions two reasons to rejoice that that relate to the purpose of Christmas and help keep us focused on the real meaning of Christmas, which is our salvation. I'm going to read the text, and then we'll unpack these couple of reasons for for praise. First of all, in in Luke, I keep wanting to say Zechariah, it's Luke, Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 67. And his father, that's John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high shall visit us. To shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and become strong in spirit. And he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. The first reason that comes off the pages of this text... To praise God with respect to the salvation that is provided at Christmas is that we praise Him for actually providing our salvation. That's what Zechariah was doing. And his provision of our salvation has two aspects. First of all, we see in the text that our salvation is present. It's a present reality as the text unfolds before us. In verses 67 through 69, first we see the context. And his father, that's Zechariah's father, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. I have been blessed to be a father on three separate occasions. And on every single occasion, there was this unexplainable joy that rose in my heart. And Zechariah is. Filled with the Spirit, that means he's controlled by the Spirit. I was at the High V Classic last evening, yesterday afternoon, and there were some people that were controlled by something other than the Spirit sitting in front of me. They'd uh, had a few too many trips to the concession stand, and uh, the liquid spirits were in control of, of them. He was controlled by the Spirit so that everything that came from him was directed by God. Isn't it interesting that the Word of God is always superintended by the Spirit of God? It is the Spirit of God that speaks. And so Zechariah speaks in the Spirit of God and he praises the Lord God of Israel, the only one who's deserving of praise, the only one who is worthy of praise. But what is the cause for his praise? What is the reason for his praise? And that unfolds for us in several different English phrases that are translated in the text. First of all, we see in verse 68, he says, For he has visited us. God has visited us. The King of glory. Who is the King of glory? Lord of hosts is the King of glory. And he visited us. This phrase visited us means that he took notice of us and then out of his attention he acted. So there's a a recognition of something and then there's a response in action towards it. God paid attention and his loving watch care responded to human beings by sending. To our fallenness, to our desperate state, he sent his son. It was back in May when we actually moved into Urbandale and there were some of you who saw our desperate state. You looked upon our desperate state and you showed up. When the moving van backed up to the, uh, to the house, you were there to help us unpack our stuff. You saw, you looked. The word visitation and he came and he visited us. The king of glory who visited us refers to the entirety of Jesus' ministry. It's not just the birth. It is His birth. It is His life. It is His death. It is His resurrection. That's how the King of glory visited us. And in His visitation, He accomplished something. Something. Look at the text. Verse 68, For He has visited us and accomplished redemption from our enemies. If you look at the... Verse 69, he raised up horn of salvation in the house of David, his servant, and as he spoke from the mouth of his holy prophets from old, salvation is from our enemies. And you can see it again in uh, verse 74, from our enemies, and he raised up this horn of salvation from David. It's a quote from Psalm 132, verse 17, a reference to the Davidic son who would be on the throne. The horn means strength. So, uh, you know, you read the Bible and you kind of go, what is all this uh, language? Well, it's agriculturally based. The horn of a ram was its strength. And so here is the horn of salvation is our strong Savior, our powerful Savior. Immediate expectation of the Jewish people with the coming of the Savior was political deliverance. Which, if you read the text, if you look at verse 71 and 74, he talks about Deliverance from what? Our enemies and those who hate us. So that was their particular focus. But before there would be political redemption, there needed to be personal redemption, spiritual redemption. So Zechariah speaks of the prophetic certainty, with prophetic certainty. And that's what grabbed me as I read through the text. If you look at verse 68, the last part, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption He speaks of that which has not yet taken place as if it had already happened It's a prophetic certainty that God would accomplish spiritual redemption which precedes political redemption and so he has accomplished it already It's as if it had actually already occurred. A few weeks ago, November 30th, uh, was a date in which the New Orleans Saints were to play the Dallas Cowboys. And the Dallas Cowboys have this worthless record, and the New Orleans Saints were the top team in the NFL. And so it was considered a done deal. I mean, you know, all the New Orleans Saints have to do is kind of show up for the game, and they've got it won. Not so fast. It hadn't been accomplished yet. But when God speaks, as he speaks to Zechariah, it is a done deal. In God's mind, the redemption that the king of glory would bring through his earthly ministry is done. And Christ has accomplished the spiritual aspect of it. And we expect and anticipate with equal certainty that he will accomplish the political aspect aspect of it, the political redemption, when we, as believers, will be freed from our enemies and those who hate us. But what is redemption? It's one of those theological words that you read in the Bible and you kind of go, oh, that means something, but I'm not going to take the time to figure out what it means. Redemption is a word that was used in the slave trade. It means the price of release. It's the price paid by someone who purchased a slave to, or purchased someone out of slavery. In various parts of the world, there are groups and organizations that that's their commitment. As they go into, particularly when it comes to child trafficking, and they will purchase those children out of the slave trade. They will buy them out. That's what the word is here. That God sent his son, Jesus, to purchase our redemption, to pay the price. And what was the price of our redemption deliverance? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood that is the forgiveness of our sins. If you read in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, you'll also see that the Lamb who is worthy to open the books, He's worthy and receives glory because He purchased with His own blood People from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The blood was the price to release those who would believe from their sins. That's the price that was paid for redemption. and God's visitation accomplished salvation. I like what one person said. Where God has put a period, never put a question mark. God put a period here. Salvation has been provided. It's been accomplished. Christ's blood paid the price immediately so that all who believe would be delivered from the payment they deserve for their sins, which is death. And his price that he paid will ultimately deliver all of those who believe from the oppression of those who hate us. That's the picture. That's the salvation provided. But Zechariah doesn't stop there. He talks about our salvation, which is promised to confirm that it has been provided. Zechariah, in the spirit, goes back into the Old Testament and draws upon the prophetic words of the prophets and says this person, this Jesus who comes, is the fulfillment of it. So you can know equally with greater certainty that this Salvation has been provided. And there are three different promises that are mentioned in the text. I'm not going to elaborate on all of them. I'm just going to mention them. In verse 69, at the end of it, he says, In the house of David his servant. A quote of Psalm 132, verse 17. The Davidic covenant is in view. If you go back into 2 Samuel chapter 7, you can read it. It's the promise that in David, his descendant would sit on the throne forever. Forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of that Davidic covenant, that Davidic promise. Then we see a general reference in verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, quoting uh, the psalmist. As you go down through the text, he, he quotes Psalm 106, verse 10. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. This is the prophetic promise that he would give. And this, God has provided the salvation we just don't experience it yet from our enemies. Uh, many of you are familiar with uh, Saeed Abedini, uh, pastor, American pastor who was in captivity in Iran for, I think, about two years. He was released in January of this year. Well, that's a, a taste of what every person who trusts Christ will experience ultimately when Christ returns, that there will be no oppression of our enemies. The final, the third Covenant that he speaks of here is the Abrahamic covenant. If you look at the end of verse 72, to show mercy towards our fathers and to remember his holy covenant and the oath which he swore to Abraham our father. In Genesis 22, verses 16 and following. He made this promise that in Abraham all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so what he's saying here is that this is realized in Jesus Christ. And for what purpose uh, this promise in Christ is for the purpose, if you look at verse 74, to grant that we, now as you see the words that we, in order that we, this is the purpose. Why did he send Jesus to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant? That we, in order that those who believe, might what? Worship. Worship how? Well, the text goes on to say, that we might worship, to grant that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear, so that we would serve without fear. That there would be this freedom, that there would be this freedom to worship in righteousness, and that and we would worship in holiness. It's been co- accomplished. His salvation has been accomplished. The first century Jews just looked for the political deliverance. What Zechariah says is, hey, wait a second. You need to think about something else. It's not just a political. It's coming, it's sure, but it isn't experienced yet. And so then what he does next in the text is he takes them from this salvation that has been provided to show them that this salvation that has been provided has been prepared that we would receive it. And that's what we see happening as he talks about his own son. Notice in verse 76. And you, child. It's an abrupt change in the text. He's talking about blessed be God because he's provided our salvation, done deal. Now he's talking about and you, child. Zacharias, and you, child, points to the, his son's part in God's redemptive plan. Salvation has been accomplished, but the salvation that has been accomplished must first and foremost be accepted. It's a done deal, but you have to accept What has been done? We have to accept it. I did a little research and uh, the first lifeboat that was lowered from the Titanic, the USS, uh, the Titanic that sank in the North Atlantic, the first lifeboat had a capacity of 65 people. There were only 27 in the boat. Salvation was provided. Deliverance was provided, but it was not personally accepted by you do the math. However, many that didn't get in that boat. Now, though I know they didn't have enough lifeboats for everybody, but they had lifeboats for more people than got saved. When God sent his son Jesus to visit us as the Messiah, he provided a salvation that must personally be accepted or it's not appropriated for you and for me. Notice the text says that you shall be called a prophet of the Most High. On what basis is he to be called this prophet of the Most High? The text says because. For this reason, why will you be called a prophet of the Most High? Because you'll go before the Lord. You'll be the one who in the the spirit of Elijah, the prophesied forerunner of the Messiah, and I'm talking about the promise in Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 3 and following. The promise in Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1. and Malachi, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And you have your Bibles open to Luke 1, so look over at Luke 1, verses 15 and 16. For he, speaking of this son that would be born to Elizabeth and Zechariah, will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be—he can't go to the ball games at Wells Fargo, I guess. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and while yet in his mother's womb, and he will mourn, he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. This is the one; he'll turn the sons back to the Lord their their God. So there is this messenger of salvation, John the Baptist, who comes with a message. For our salvation. He prepared us because he came as a messenger. But a messenger always has a message. And we see articulated for us in verses 77 through 79. The message. In four aspects. What's the concern of God in verse 77? To give his people the knowledge of salvation. You say, well, what do you mean? They knew. Knowledge here means experience of salvation. Those in our congregation are familiar. We've had a a team of people for the last several years, but the last couple years since I've been here, that went to Haiti. And when the guys get up and the gals, and they talk and they talk and they share about their trip to Haiti, you and I can know intellectually about Haiti. But unless you've been to Haiti, you don't know what they're talking about. You don't know in an experiential way. And so what the text here says is that God visited us in the person of his son Jesus so that we could know. And John the Baptist would declare this one so that we could know experientially the salvation that God was providing for us to give us indicates John's purpose. His preparation was to give his purpose for God's people to know this. Salvation. How can we know it? Well, that's the... Condition of the salvation in verse 77. The next phrase, by the forgiveness of our sins. Salvation comes. Salvation from that which we need to be delivered from. Remember I said redemption is the price of release. What do we need to be released from? We need to be released from our sins. Why? Because our sins deserve death, God's wrath. So we need to be delivered from the wrath of God that's due to us because of our sins. And the way that that comes about is through forgiveness. That's what Zechariah is telling us. The forgiveness of our sin because sin separates us from God. So that salvation redemption is really a restoration project. God is seeking to restore us in a right relationship with Himself. And that restoration comes through freedom from sin's penalty and power. And the only way we get freedom from sin's penalty and power is to have our sins forgiven. And the only way to have our sins forgiven is to have the price paid. And the price was paid when Jesus died on the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins. It was paid for. The price was paid. This week, I received an email from Somebody forwarded it to me, uh, Micah Tuttle, who's a missionary that we support, and they were doing some evangelism in a mall. And he went up and talked to somebody, and he he started out this little survey, and he says, uh, you know, do you you believe that there's a a higher power? Yeah, I believe there's a higher power. Well, if there's a higher power, and you could talk to this higher power, what what would you want to say to this higher power? And the guy says, I would want to know how I could be forgiven. It was kind of a shock. And so Micah basically shared the the gospel with this person about how they could be forgiven but the person had to realize that they needed to be forgiven what do we need to be forgiven of we need to be forgiven of our sins we need to understand something we need to understand that you and i are messed up the bible says all of us like sheep have gone astray each one has turned to his own way isaiah 53 verse 6 that means that every one of us in this earth, on this earth, by, by, by nature and by choice, is living either in active rebellion against or passive indifference towards God. Active rebellion is, I know what God wants, I ain't going there. Passive indifference is, yeah, I don't know, I'm just going to do my own thing. I don't really care what God thinks. Every one of us and it manifests itself in some way, shape, or form. We need to accept that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need to look and see that the consequence of that is God's wrath and judgment because He's a holy God. We need to see that there is a person named Jesus who was born in a baby in a manger who lived and died on the cross to pay the debt that you and I deserve to pay. He died in our place. And then we must personally accept this gift. So that the salvation provided becomes a salvation procured by us, by you and me. We need to understand that this forgiveness. And what is the cause? What, What brings about this forgiveness? Notice the text in verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God. The tender mercy is compassion. It's seeing our desperate state deep-seated compassion and pity towards us. Salvation through forgiveness of our sins is because of God's undeserved favor poured out. Yeah, mercy is not getting what we deserve. Some of you have had warnings. You know, police stop you. And you get a warning. Guess what? That's mercy. Mercy. Because you deserved a ticket. But you got mercy. God in His mercy sent Jesus, that, because of His compassion towards our fallen state. Some of you know the name of Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom was a Hollander who was, they were hiding uh, Jewish people during the days of the Holocaust. And she went to prison. Ravensbrück was a concentration camp. And in Ravensbrück she was humiliated and her sister died in that abhorrent condition. Later, after the war in 1947, she was speaking back in Germany, and I quote, It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. She stood before a group of people, and she shared the message of God's forgiveness, and afterwards, she saw approaching her, her former tormentor, one of the guards from Ravensbrück who did not recognize Corey Ten Boom at all, one before whom she had been humiliated and brutally treated. And he came up to her and he said these words, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, will you forgive me? With agonizing pain and great hesitation, she drew upon the power of God and the grace of God and she extended her hand and said to the one who had tortured her and at whose hands her sister had died and said, Yes, I forgive you. Mercy she had received was mercy that she extended. The God of the universe looked at our desperate state and none of us deserves his mercy. But he sent his son to die in our place. Who would give their own son for others who were undeserving? God did. And he showed us his mercy, extended to us, None of us naturally seeks after God, but God sought after us. That's His mercy coming to us. That's the cause for His forgiveness. Now we see the content of our salvation in verses end of verse 78. With which the sunrise from on high shall visit us. It's a a picture of, of God. It's a quote from, if you look at verse 68, it, it, it draws on the Old Testament imagery of God's The sunrise from on high visiting us. It's a veiled reference to the incarnation. Jesus coming to earth and God's merciful care. It's love coming down. And what did God's love coming down in the person of Jesus do? It did two things. The sunrise. It illumined our darkness. Look at verse 79. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. To shine upon those who were in darkness and the shadow of death. That's you and me, folks. We're in darkness. Which means sin. And deserving of death. And the God of the universe shone the light into our life. Now what does this mean? Look at the text of verse 79. He says... To shine upon those who are in darkness and the shadow of death. It illumines our darkness in this sense. If we're in desperate need of deliverance and you're in a cave. uh, There was a a story actually, yeah, in, was it? Not too long ago. There were five, uh, actually December 13th I think. Five people snuck into an abandoned cave and they got trapped in there. And they were rescued in West Virginia. And when the light of the people rescuing them shone in upon them, it did two things. It gave them great hope that they would be rescued. But it also exposed their foolishness and their wickedness for sneaking into the cave when they shouldn't have been there. This is the light of God's shining on us. It gives us comfort to know that God cares and He sees our desperate state. He's, there's hope of deliverance, but there's also conviction that what we're doing is wicked Because the light exposes the darkness. Then there's the second aspect of that light coming into us, which is there in the end of verse 79, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The light of the incarnation doesn't just illumine our darkness to bring comfort and conviction. It actually instructs our deliverance. Christ came to shine the light so that we'd know how we could be out of the darkness and rescued. Peace. What is peace? Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's salvation. Peace with God because we are subject to his wrath but because Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, by his wounds we can be healed. If we trust in his death in our place, then God's wrath was placed upon Jesus in our stead so that we do not receive it anymore. That's peace. Peace with God. But it's not just peace with God. That's salvation. Peace in God, as those who are believers, is communion with God. We are in peace with God, and there is peace in God. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why? Because God is with us. That's what Christ coming as a babe in a manger provided for you and me. Pardon leads to peace. That's the message that John would preach. If you look at verse 80, it took a while for him to get there. He had to go wander around in the desert and eat locusts and wild honey and wear you know, camel's clothes for a while. You know? And then he would come back and he would preach and break the silence of 400 years prophetically claiming the coming of the Messiah. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, yeah, I don't know. I thought this was a Christmas program and we're supposed to see the little kids and it's all about Jesus and a babe in a manger. It is. But that little baby came in a manger so that he would grow up and die on a cross. And you say, well, yeah, I don't know about that sin stuff. It's kind of out of, you know, it's not really hip anymore to talk about people sinning. Well, let me ask you this, folks. I'm guessing that, that there are people closer to you than me that would attest to the fact that sometimes you're selfish that sometimes you're greedy, that sometimes you're proud, that sometimes you don't tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And if that's the case, then guess what? You're guilty. And I don't say that with joy. I say that with truthfulness. And the, the, the joy is that your guilt can be taken away through the blood of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is believe. And turn your heart in your hard heart and trust him and say, Lord, I know this is true. And now I see it. You came to die. You were born to live and live to die. So that wicked people who deserve to die could become righteous people who now live because of Jesus. And if you heard this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to take some time this Christmas season not to miss, when the wheelbarrow of Christmas is wheeled out there, don't miss the obvious. Pardon provided. By looking at the presents or whatever else. Let's reflect on the mercy of God that rescued us. Let us rejoice in the mercy of God that saved us. And let us declare loudly to a lost and dying world, There is a Savior, and that's why we celebrate Christmas. As we come to break this bread and take this cup, let us remember that it was God's Son who lived and died and broke His body that we might live. Perfect God came for imperfect man to make imperfect man perfect in the eyes of a holy God. And if you're here this morning and you're trusting in Jesus Christ and his death alone as a payment for your sins, I invite you to join with us after you take a few moments to reflect on your own heart and confess any known sin to come up and break the bread and take the cup and rejoice and reflect and go out and declare to a lost and dying world the blessedness of this Savior that we serve. Let's pray. Father, take this bread and this cup as we receive it. May we do so with reflection on your mercy. May we do so with rejoicing in our heart, and I pray that we would commit to share your love with those around us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.